Welcome to episode 86 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded on Thursday, the 5th of November 2020. My name is Mark Williams Cook, and today we are going to be joined by Roman Sadowski, who is the head of SEO for Smith's Toys, and he's going to be talking to us about e commerce SEO and the future of e commerce online. Before we kick off, I'd like to tell you this podcast is very kindly sponsored by Sightbulb. So I've spoken about them pretty much every episode now for the last few weeks as our sponsor. And every episode I talk about a new kind of feature or thing about Sightbulb that I like or I find particularly helpful. Because as hopefully you know by now, it is a tool that I and many of the people in the SEO community use in-house and in agencies and the thing I want to talk about on Sitebulb today is actually their crawler. So there's lots of different ways to kind of crawl the web and render web web pages. And a really cool thing about Sitebulb is that when you're doing a crawl and rendering JavaScript through Sitebulb, it uses an evergreen Chromium rendering engine. So it's going to be super close to what Google is seeing. And this is really, really important when you're trying to work out what's going on on your site and how Google's interpreting it. So as hopefully we all know, Google goes through, for want of a better way to describe it, there's two kind of phases of crawling and indexing whereby Googlebot visits a web page, grabs the URL and gets the kind of raw HTML. And because of how lots of modern websites work with various JavaScript frameworks, such and such, this may not be the equivalent to what an end user browsing the site would see. So it does go through this rendering process uh, at Google with Caffeine, their indexer. And at that point, uh, using the the same evergreen engine, it, it renders the JavaScript and tries to understand what it's seeing. So you can, of course, do HTML, uh, raw HTML crawls as well with Sitebulb, which is how they have that great feature we talked about before, which was comparing the JavaScript to non-JavaScript version for things like where links are getting injected or modified on the page. But using this evergreen Chromium renderer means that they're able to do things like page speeds, reports, mobile friendly reports, code coverage, all of this stuff as Google would see it, as Google's going to judge it, they can run through their crawl and give you a report on. So it's really, really, really helpful to be able to see site-wide, okay, what's our page speed looking at? How, what's the time to interactive? When's the DOM ready? How long is the first page load? What's the time to first buy? All of these things, really, really helpful. Of course, if you've got enough traffic, you'll have the Chrome user experience reports with some of those metrics coming uh, through Google Search Console, but this is a really good way to get a snapshot of your site and really get the detail of is there specific page templates, for instance, that are causing you issues. So Sitebulb, got a special deal for Search with Canada listeners. You can go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC and you can get a 60-day extended trial of Sitebulb instead of the usual 14 days. No credit card required, so it's all free. Go and give it a go. 
And today, as I said, we are joined by Roman Sadowski, who is the senior SEO at Smith's Toys. Uh, he's been there, as far as I can see, six and a half years. Is that right, Roman? That's right. Yeah, six and a half years. So um, I'll let I'll let you do kind of an introduction to yourself uh, at a moment. I had a quick look, uh, poke around the Smith's Toys site with some tools like SEM Rush, uh, which suggests you're getting kind of in the eight figures per month of organic traffic worldwide. Um, so it looks like a really big site, really interested to talk to you and your experiences uh, you've, you've had with that. Um, but could you just give us an intro about yourself and maybe how you got into SEO and how you ended up uh, at Smith's, please? Sure, no problem. Uh, hi, Mark. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. I'm thrilled to be here. I uh, just want to say this is a great podcast in SEO co community. So I've been following you for over a year now. Obviously, I haven't listened to all the episodes, but uh, this stuff is great. You kick ass, keep up good work. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm Roman Sadowski. I suppose um, my story with SEO started back in 2004, 2005. Um, I cannot say that I started to work in SEO in 2005. Uh, it wasn't my full-time job at the time, but it was a rather pursuit of income in my spare time, you know, and that led me to SEO. So um, I started to build websites and obviously SEO was a default source of traffic for me at that time as I didn't have any marketing budget. So obviously to make any money back then I knew that I had to figure out how to find keywords online and how to uh, rank websites. Um, you know, there were very days where, you know, keyword tag was a, um, a ranking factor. So I don't know if you remember those days, Mark. Yes, but, uh, I do. Yeah. yeah, it was very easy to, uh, you know, get traffic. Um, obviously, a lot changed ever since in SEO, but um, I suppose I've learned SEO by doing over the years and it came naturally to me. Um, I suppose it became my hobby. So over the years, I started and stopped a number of online ventures, which always evolved uh, some kind of marketing strategy and <laughs> SEO always been a, a core of it. Um, I started to work in Smith's Toys uh, in 2014. And I suppose that was my first true full-time SEO position. Um, so I am responsible for SEO for the company. But I am also involved in web analytics, web tracking, reporting, or on-site search optimization, which all that ties in nicely with SEO anyway. So yeah, I was lucky enough to be a part of our expansion to uh, UK and then almost two years ago to Europe. Um, we launched our website in Europe in March last year. So yeah, it's been a very fascinating few years so far uh, with site migrations and all sorts of mad projects we worked on. And obviously this year is different again with COVID and lockdowns yeah. that brings, you know, new challenges to SEO, um, you know, I suppose to all websites. So yeah, life is uh, only getting better. And uh, yeah, that's my story in a nutshell. I think it's interesting. So anyone that started SEO in you know, early 2000s, 2004, 2005, the story is really similar in that it was essentially people building and SEOing their own sites. That's because, right. you know, there, there wasn't anything like Brighton SEO, for instance, That's that right. didn't exist. Um, there was certainly nothing happening at colleges, universities talking about SEO. Um, 
there wasn't even many books on the subjects, was there? There was no, like no, no. very few actual printed books and it was mainly kind of people just learning off forums. And like you say, um, because I think it wasn't taken that seriously by big businesses, a lot of the um, uh, the difficulty was a lot lower and it was actually a lot of just people at home uh, getting sometimes a lot of traffic because yeah. they'd invested some some time looking into that. So, yeah, I, I think that's a fairly uh, sort of common story if you started, uh, if you did start that long ago, sort of being self-made. And obviously now moving into um, a company where you're dealing with millions of visitors per month, that's obviously, uh, again, very, very different from that that beginning. So what does your day-to-day look like what's an average uh day or an average week look like for you managing uh the seo for such a large e-com site um well obviously the the current situation is a bit unusual because of covid um we try to be in office as much as much as possible but uh Recently, uh, we cannot be in office at all because uh, Ireland went into uh, level five lockdown as of last week. So, yeah, so we all work from home and catching up on chats and hangouts and stuff. Um, These days, my days split between ongoing SEO projects, monitoring and training. Um, As you can imagine, our industry is dynamic and seasonal very much and things change quite a bit. Um, I suppose, compared to other industries, which could be much more static. Um, so all these circumstances are challenging for SEO if we want to stay ahead and prioritize work. Um, so we try to apply 80-20 rule to all we do. We tend to work on projects depending on what is important to the business at the time. Um, so we have a fairly good um, weekly SEO report, which contains priority keywords for us and concepts um, that are important to the business. Uh, so that data is being driven by all the teams. So on principle, it is fresh and highly prioritized in terms of yeah, what is important to the business at the time. So this is our base for any ongoing work um, in terms of SEO. Um, apart from that, uh, we would also look into any underperforming categories across the business on a regular basis. We would then break them down and brainstorm brainstorm ideas for uh, improvement. Um, We also try to get ahead in Google for um, those products and concepts that are scheduled to go online um, in the future. Um, Lots of kind of, not lows, but um, few daunting tasks, like on a weekly basis, we would um, go through our SEO reports generated in Google Analytics, where we track empty pages, 404s, any you know faulty pages that needs needs to be fixed. Um, so that allows us to keep the link equity um, you know under the domain and keep the index neat for Google. Um, what else? Um, this year, for example, I designed and ran an SEO training a session for all teams involved in in the web content. It is important to us that all relevant teams. Uh, know what SEO is and are SEO aware. As as you can imagine, all the teams in the company have an impact on rankings. Um, So we like the free flow of expertise between the teams and all teams have access to necessary data for their own decision-making. Yeah, so by training and having this kind of culture allows us to uh, respond quickly to trends in Google and also you know, spot problems very quickly because things do break all the time. 
Um, I suppose me, I always try to stay tuned and keep an eye on any new concepts or trends in SEO. As you know, the whole thing is changing very quickly. So yeah, I would spend a little bit of time every day reading SEO blogs and news and tweets um, to ensure that I don't miss anything. And obviously I follow your tips on LinkedIn. Well done, very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, a lot of happening at work at the moment, um, but last year was different again as we focus, um, all focus was in Germany, uh, launching the websites and fixing all after go life issues and training the teams up over there and build SEO strategies for them. So yeah, we spent a good amount of time in Cologne uh, last year and obviously this year it's, it's different again. Um, it was, it was really interesting to me. You, you focused there on the internal training and building that SEO awareness throughout the company. So as a, uh, coming from agency side, that's something I've seen multiple times that's been massively overlooked in some larger companies we've worked with, where there's a, there's kind of a core SEO team and then lots of people who, as you rightly say, have an impact on SEO. So it might be product specialists, content writers, people, uh, developers, or people that are making decisions about how the sites, you know, new pages, structures, categories don't know anything about SEO. So then there's, there's always this back and forward of someone does some work and then it almost needs to go through this bottleneck of the few SEO people to quote unquote, you know, SEO it (laughs) or in, or in, or in some cases just completely kick it back and say, you know, you can't do this. And we found ourselves actually doing exactly that. What you said, where it's not been, they've not had the capability in house, which is actually saying, look, you need to train these other people up and trying to run these, these kind of courses over time to build up everyone's knowledge. Because I think, like you say, especially in larger companies, you can save so much time, so much money and increase your effectiveness if you're not having to essentially redo work that other people are doing and they're building it in to everything they're doing, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's hard, especially for um, large organizations to you know, to create culture like that and break those boundaries between the teams um, because, you know, it it is hard. People are kind of focused on their own things and they don't kind of have time to have expertise in other things. But the whole thing, it has to be interconnected, has to be one. And as you said, it does save a lot of time going forward because, yeah, you don't have to redo those things um, later on. And, you know, you can get really good content right from the start when, you know, the, the, the team that is re- responsible for uploading the, the content on the website, know about keywords, know about demand, have access to data and stats. Uh, you know, they are aware of what people search for. And, you know, we can then match content on the website with keywords, um, demand in Google and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's crucial to connect all the teams and, and work towards one um, goal, I suppose. Yeah. You mentioned as well on your kind of day to day there, um, you know, you're looking at this kind of fresh, you're keeping things fresh and you're looking at specifically, I wanted to pick up on, you said underperforming categories. So categories where you've defined yourself as underperforming. So it'd be interesting, I think, for our listeners to what do you class as underperforming? Is that somewhere, you know, that you've ranked previously before and you're not anymore or somewhere you just think you should be ranking because you've got the content? How how do you prioritize that? How do you decide kind of what's underperforming and what's, you know, not on the radar? Um, I suppose... Um... 
obviously we have our own KPIs that uh, we track on a weekly basis. And this is our base to to see and measure which category is is kind of you know there at the top and which one is lagging, and you know if you, if you watch that uh, data and stats every week you kind of know and you can see straight away that um, you know one department could be uh, lagging or you can recognize patterns and trends. Um, so uh, whatever the KPI might be, um, if we see a category, uh, uh, you know, or, or line or, or anything, uh, or even whole department that is um, behind, we kind of, you know, go into it and break it down in pieces and see what's going on. And often, you know, once you do that, uh, you can really find a lot of uh, little nuggets that are very easy to fix. And then obviously, mm -hmm. you know, over time, it works very much, you know. Um, so. Mm -hmm. What we define, we're basically using our KPIs, internal KPIs, to define uh, which category is underperforming. Um, obviously, that's based on rankings per well, priority I, keywords. I think that it's safe to say whatever you're doing is working, because again, looking at external tools over the last five or six years, it looks to me like your organic traffic uh, has, you know. The increase has been massive we're talking like three or four times mm. um so i'm interested in when you joined what were your kind of immediate priorities as you came into the role versus what you're looking at now did this exist already was there some seo knowledge in the business did you inherit technical debt because again what what i'd like to get out of this question i guess is there's going to be people moving into new e-commerce rules uh roles and they listen they're listening to you and it sounds like you've got everything uh, at least it sounds like everything is kind of nicely organized you've got a flow and you're really on top of things and there's going to be people moving into roles and i know from personal experience sometimes you move into a role and it looks like everything's going to be great it's a really well-known company and you arrive and you weren't kind of told how on fire everything is and <laughs> there's skeletons falling out of closets and you can feel like oh i'm in a terrible position but you know, I think that happens to a lot of people. So I'd just be interested in what were your immediate kind of things you had to do when you came into the role uh, versus the kind of stuff you're doing now? Sure. Uh, firstly, I need to say here that the growth that we achieved in recent years is not only a product of uh, good SEO practices, but it is also thanks to our fantastic marketing team and all brand building strategies and support of other channels as well, like social or uh, Google Shopping, emails, and a good digital mix is really helping SEO in the long term. So it wasn't only SEO as such. Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, it does bring a lot of lots of memories. Um, I suppose when I arrived in, back in 2014, uh, we were undergoing a site migration uh, from an old platform to a newer one at the time. Uh, so at the time, there was no in-house SEO expertise um, and the new website was fairly basic. Uh, there was lots of development work to be done at the start and nobody really had uh, know-how um, you know, when I arrived. Uh, yeah, so it was, we had to implement the language tags as we had two versions of the website. I remember UK, we still do, UK and Irish one. Um, there was no canonicalization in place on homepages, faces, pagination. Meta descriptions were pulling in a full product descriptions at default and duplications, no product schema. 
um, Irish bridges were indexed in UK and, you know, all sorts of issues like that that had to be addressed. Um, yeah. So there was lots of opportunity there. Absolutely. For you. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So there was lots of low hanging fruits to, to fix. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was a busy time. Um, so, yeah, it took a while to, uh, to, to, you know, to optimize that website that was actually SEO friendly. You know, you had to, to build up those basics um, in terms of technical SEO. So once we had that groundwork done, we then built in reporting and trained the staff to ensure we had some SEO quality checks for any new ongoing content. And then we moved to um, content optimization. Um, and then while later, a while later, after all this, we decided to upgrade the website again uh, to even bigger and newer um, version of Hybris, which this is the, the platform we use today. So that was another full um, full blown site migration and to the totally new platform. Um, but luckily, uh, we managed to migrate all SEO value. There were no there, there was no uh, disasters there. And to be honest, that, that was luck, was it? <laughs> uh, well, Google didn't even notice that we switched the website. So it was uh, it was a great success. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, Advice to any newcomers um, to the role like that, I suppose, you know, you need to take um, ownership of of the work and, you know, look at the bigger picture um, and be brave, I suppose. And, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes when you're new uh, to um, communicate your ideas, um, you know, and be brave enough to, to go off and shout about this. But uh, it, it is important that you do and don't 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 be scared, you know, um, be brave to 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 go and address all those things that you think are important to the business and will make a dent. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice. Um, today, I suppose uh, our technical SEO is in good shape, so we can concentrate efforts on content upgrades. Um, you know, apart from all those things I mentioned earlier, uh, we try to work on maintaining and improving the current content that we have on the website. Um, so I guess we're lucky that we have lots of tools these days like Ahrefs or Content King that we can get into a real nitty-gritty of content management and spot all those, uh, you know, little things that affect rankings. Um, you know, you can imagine that with a big site like ours, uh, fixing little things at scale on a regular basis can bring great results. And I suppose that shows in our stats. Mm. Um, I, it was interesting. Well, not interesting. I think it's right that you you prefaced your earlier answer with, you know, increasing rankings being a team effort, like you say. And there's lots of things that, you know, directly and indirectly affect the SEO work you're doing. And the thing I'd like to focus on as well, and I just want to reiterate for, I guess, people moving into new roles is this thing you said about kind of being being brave to suggest things. So to to give a real example, this week I was speaking to um, someone at quite a large company and they were asking us to uh, essentially help them with some analytics type analysis on how their site's performing. And it very quickly became apparent that despite it being a large company, there was no kind of goal or event tracking at all set up on, on the whole site. Wow. And yeah and you know this we were we were still pushed to can we you know can we do this work anyway and you know the conversation kind of went along the lines of look you need to essentially go back to the people who are asking you to do your job and 
you know, you don't have to necessarily, you know, you don't have to stamp your feet or demand anything, but you can ask them if you're being tasked to increase X, Y, or Z, and you're not allowed to measure it, what do they kind of suggest that we do? <laughs> because it's a business-wide problem, you know, this problem. And we've given them the, you know, ability and information to kind of go and deliver that message internally now. Um, and I think that's a really common thing, if, especially uh, for people that are newer in roles, are, are, are maybe pushed into doing things that, you know, aren't optimal or aren't the right way. So I really appreciate what you're saying there about, you know, if you need something to get a job done, it can be better long term if you're kind of honest about that and, you know, lay it out in a in a polite way, like like you've said there. Yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. Yeah, take the ownership, and you know, you will be actually surprised that uh, people will take uh, your suggestion to consideration because um, you know it is important to the business. After all, so yeah. last week we spoke to Lily Ray, and we spoke to her about patents. Um, she'd done some work with um, Bill Swarovski about patents and ranking factors, and we had some fun kind of speculating on what google may or may not be using as ranking factors now and in the future um and we we covered there a few points that kind of the nuance that people sometimes miss when we talk about ranking factors which is things like you know there's going to be factors that are specific for instance for certain search verticals like the easiest one i can think of is you know uh in google's kind of news results freshness is is really really important right you know it's it's almost chronological the stuff you see in the in the news results so i'm interested on your um thoughts feelings speculations you know i'm not going to ask for evidence or challenge just your feeling on what's important in terms of e-commerce sites for for ranking um, you know, is it schema? Is it is it links? Is it is it technical? What's really important um, to get sites ranking nowadays for e-commerce sites? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, surely uh, for every vertical, every vertical is different, and different rules will apply to rankings, as you just said about the news. Uh, not even that, different format or, or type of content would matter more or less across different industry. E-commerce is no different. Uh, moreover, it is a unique case altogether. Um, it's hard to apply, for example, long format content like blogs to, uh, to e-commerce. Um, people, uh, you know, intent is slightly different. People are there visiting you know, those websites uh, to buy rather than read. So uh, people are interested more in, in price, product features, quality of the images, uh, age specification or product description, delivery options. Um, yeah, so it's um, um, they come to buy and they more um, interact with this kind of content rather than, uh, you know, something uh, long, long format um, to read as such. Um, so we need to think about this and provide them um, with this kind of content in order to convert them. Uh, so, yeah. For us, for example, uh, gift finder or store locator would be those assets that uh, do collect links and they have uh, lots of interest for us, obviously, because um, they tend to be popular because um, they help people to buy things, right? So on principle, this is uh, good content, more guides. We do uh, a lot of good guys, especially in nursery department. We have guides on travel systems. 
uh, car seats, uh, baby monitors and mattresses, but all this content um, helps them buy things, right? So it makes <laughs> purchase a little bit more easier. Uh, Gift Finder, obviously, it's, it's, it kind of builds to people who don't really know what they're looking for. Um, so we try to help them push them towards um, the conversions a bit, uh, you know, better, I suppose. Uh, so again, those things wouldn't work in other spaces, right? And long format wouldn't work for um, e-commerce. Um, so yeah, so this is this is um, this is slightly different for us. Um, other kind of factors that matter for us, I see traffic being um, a factor, right? Uh, there is a clear correlation between traffic and rankings and we are seasonable business, uh, as you can imagine, um, our traffic spikes a lot this time of the year. And so we see rankings follow suit. Uh, perhaps this is not the case for all the verticals as well. I don't know. Uh, I know Google said that there is no correlation between the two, uh, but stats show a different picture. Perhaps our listener, listeners could provide some in, insights on this. So yeah, to, to pull this apart, what we're saying is you're saying maybe at peak times when, uh, you know, basically essentially at peak times when your searches are going up, you're finding your rankings are improving. Is that basically what you're saying? That's right. Yeah, the, the more, uh, that's what I've seen over the years. Uh, the more traffic we drive to the website, the more traffic we get. Um, the so that's that's really interesting because one thing uh, so we've just been through Halloween and Halloween's been a really good example for me about how Google is adjusting the search results based on I think that the type of intent so the thing that I noticed about Halloween search results are <clears throat> through much of the year they are informational type results about Halloween and yeah. where it came from and stuff like that and then in the kind of week few weeks run up to Halloween it becomes heavily dominated by e-commerce type of sites. Yeah. Um, and I think this makes perfect sense from a search engine point of view because Google understands, well, actually the intent has shifted now and people want to buy things. So do you think that's possibly what's causing that correlation with a site like yours, like an e-commerce type site, say coming up to Black Friday to Christmas, Google knows actually around these kind of searches, people are more switched on. They want to spend money, they want to buy. So it might be your site as opposed to, I don't know, kind of a publication that's writing about gift guides. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I see those um, those dynamics all the time, not even towards the Christmas time, but sometimes you, you see that on uh, much smaller um, categories where uh, when there is a concept and the products are not there yet, but you have lots of uh, um, video content on, on YouTube. And if you search for those concepts, you would get obviously um, video format, you know, listings. And once we um, bring to the market the products, obviously that change that that whole uh, intent changes, and Google adjusts the searches, the the search pages, and brings up uh, more uh, transactional. Um, listings and then obviously the, the the video content and goes down to the page too so yeah that happens all the time and uh, yeah it's definitely a factor obviously uh, google has uh, lots of intelligence and a lot of um you know uh, i suppose technology to to gauge all this and what people search for and and adjust uh search pages towards that so yeah intent is definitely um in interesting and fascinating thing altogether 
Yeah. The the gifts thing as well. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It was actually the the tip I did on LinkedIn today was around e-commerce and gifting. And yeah. I don't know if you'd seen it because it was pretty much uh, nail on the head what you said there about the again the type of content and intent. So we've been talking to yeah. various clients who are in e-commerce and not just sticking you know the word gifts on their category pages because we're understanding that maybe the person who's buying the gift for the Star Trek fan doesn't actually know that much about Star Trek. So mm -hmm. when they're searching for for gifts, they actually want some content that steers them towards, well, actually, you know, Discovery is the new series. So this, they might like this, they might like this. Yeah. And, you know, and unless you are like just a gifting site, I think that um, understanding where that difference is, is really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, there's a huge opportunity that uh, you actually, there's so much searches for gift related keywords across the whole spectrum of internet, really. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting uh, niche up there. Um, so I'd like to talk to you as well about the kind of more into the future of uh, e-commerce, because there's all kinds of interesting things happening in the background that we've covered before on the podcast. So the main ones, for me are um, earlier this year, it's almost, it might've been about a year ago now, Google made some initial announcements around specifically their fashion search engine result pages and the changes they were making to how they will show results for fashion searches. So rather than just showing some paid ads at the top and then listing websites, they actually wanted to essentially just collate feeds. Um, and again, this runs in parallel with what Google's been doing with opening up the merchant center feeds now. Um, so you can be included organically for free and mm -hmm. um, producing this experience that we've talked about a little bit, which is, I feel, you know, trying to go head to head with Amazon because Amazon's got that advantage at the moment of you go to it, you do a search and all the products are there kind of on one platform you can choose, you can buy. The disadvantage of doing product searches on Google is it's different websites, different experiences, different logins, um, different user interfaces. Whereas if Google can start to understand these products, categorize them, filter them for you, and if you can buy directly, maybe through Google, so we've seen that integration happening with, with Shopify and Google you know, being able to purchase directly kind of from the SERP. I'm interested on where do you think that's going to go? Because it's not here yet, is it? You know, this isn't happening quite yet. Where do you think it's going to go? And is this something that e-com SEO people should be planning in long term for? What should they be thinking? What should they be doing technology strategy wise? I know it's a huge question, but take a st take a stab at it for me. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's a big shift, I think, um, but it is still in a very early stage. And I haven't, apart from surfaces, obviously, uh, I haven't seen anything um, significant in terms of UI. Um, but yeah, Google is trying to get uh, get back Amazon's advertising business and reverse, I suppose, the trend where users default to Amazon for transactional queries. They start their product search on Amazon. And obviously, Amazon is cleaning up on the commissions, bringing all those you know um, ads at the top. Um, I suppose also Amazon's uh, surge in ad uh, revenue in the recent years created a threat for Google. Um, and I suppose uh, they need to defend their turf and address this issue before it grows too large for them. 
similar as they managed to beat Facebook back in back in the days, um, which worked very well for them. And by creating new formats, um, add formats, and all the features, they they, were, they managed to push them back. Um, so, yeah, it is very interesting, and it's definitely a pushback against Amazon. Um, uh, to be honest, it. It could be uh, actually beneficial to all the parties. Um, it is kind of they're trying to create an ecosystem, a marketplace, if you like, um, with a wide range of products and merchants. So that in turn is likely to increase their own revenue um, and create more monetization opportunities for them. And also will bring more users and perhaps in the long term uh, will change the behavior where people start product searches on Amazon. Um, in short term, it's a kind of gamble from Google, and I bet they didn't factor the the pandemic uh, to be around, <laughs> you know. But that could actually work uh, well for them, as many merchants are focused, um, forced uh, to move online, and free advertising is definitely an attractive option. Um, overall, I think it's it's good for uh, for consumers, that's for sure. Uh, given the shopping is visual experience, and it is. This is exactly what we're getting from Google. Um, so it might turn to be um, experience with no loss to any party in a very similar way. When you put two big shops together and both being together, attract more business to both parties, you know? Um, so how can you plan for it? I suppose if you have a very good SEO in place, um, there is no much more you, you, you have to do as such. Uh, I suppose the same um, same variables will apply if you have good authority and trust. You know, if you're a good branch, you will show up. Um, so, well, yeah, there's, there's a bit of trust going on there with reviews. I suppose the brands should really uh, focus on um, bringing more reviews to the products. And it is a good window for smaller businesses. Um, you know, with those businesses that uh, don't really have a feed yet. Uh, so this is opportunity for them to, to be, um, you know, featured hmm. uh, over there. I, I certainly see it as an opportunity actually for smaller businesses. Mm -hmm. So the ones that don't have very good e-com sites where maybe the purchasing could be done through Google and they can just deliver them a feed essentially. Yeah. Um, and, like you say, the consumer might benefit them from a, a wider, more diverse inventory to buy from. Um, yeah. yeah, but it, like like yourselves, established people who've been doing SEO, if you've got all the technical stuff in place, there's maybe not a huge amount to change. And I think it's good to know and discuss that. Um, I've always said, uh, you know, we had these stats going around in 2019 saying like 50% of searches were going to be done by voice by 2020. Yeah. And, you know, all these articles being published about what you need to do to be prepared for voice search, you know, and it turns out actually we didn't really need to do anything um, pretty much because, you know, the Google's not trying to match exactly what people are searching for with a voice query to, you know, the title of a page. It just doesn't work like that. And I think we can expect the same with these UI changes um, for people that have already got this kind of feeds and everything set up. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we don't really know where is it going to go. It could be a fad as well as, as voice was. Maybe it is a beginning of something uh, much more substantial uh, in terms of a war between Amazon and Google. We don't know that yet. I suppose we don't really have uh, much stats. Everything is kind of um, very early stage. 
you know, uh, I would like to give it a few months and see, collect some stats and see actually if people are interested in, in, in those uh, listings at all. Um, don't forget that, you know, the proper Google shopping ads are still going to go, uh, show up at the, at the top. And it's very likely that... Yeah, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> it's, it's very likely that, you know, uh, you would have to actually bid more to be closer to the top to, you know, clean up on sales. So it's, it's hard to know how people will, uh, you know, interact with those those free um, uh, ads. Let's see. Well, we can see. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, let's just let's let's wait and see. So the the other thing I wanted to pick your brains very quickly about we've already gone over half an hour here is about automation. So we've had a few chats with people about various types of automation. Um, I've advised people sometimes spending long times a long time writing meta descriptions isn't the best use of the, their time, especially when. Google's replacing them a lot of the time, or if you know if they're not even on the first page, um, you know how much kind of priority should be given to manually writing a meta description. Uh, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the Microsoft Image AI that can be used to generate alt tags for images automatically. And I'm just wondering um, what you know, if any, what kind of automation are you using? Um, how big a part does that play in your SEO, your technical SEO? And again, what do you see being automated over the next few years? Uh, in terms of uh, meta descriptions, uh, definitely it's not a fac uh, ranking factor anymore, uh, but it is still a snippet that people can use to leverage, um, you know, use it for click-throughs. So um, what we do is we pass, um, you know, commercial messages through our meta descriptions. If we have any um, special offers going on, for example, um, free shipping over a certain amount of order or uh, open account, get free shipping, whatever that might be, uh, we try to, um, you know, place it into a meta description. So it's, we don't really use that anymore as a, as a ranking factor as such, but a, as a rather a click-through factor and trying to get our uh, message across and show it to people in uh, Google. And yeah, I am a big fan of automation. Uh, we try to automate as much as possible on the website, especially you know uh, when you work with a big website like ours, it's really not possible to uh, keep up everything uh, manually. Um, in terms of um, images, yeah, I've, I've seen that. That's really, really interesting. And I think that is going to open up again um, yet another source, yet another surface uh, for um, e-commerce or any other website to um, show up in Google and feature in Google. Um, it's hard to know where it's going to go. Um, again, there's very little stats on that and how this technology is going to be used. Um, uh, but it's definitely a very interesting and i suppose this is uh, google trying to find the ways to connect all the dots across the whole internet which becomes uh, very very sophisticated and you know it, you can feature you can be found in many different you know uh, spots across the internet so recognizing the image and connecting um, images to to different um surfaces, I suppose, uh, it, it is definitely a uh, work towards uh, connecting all the dots and uh, figuring out what, who is what on the internet and what kind of authority they, they hold. Um, yeah, I do wonder for things like automatically tagging 
the alt tag on an image, how long it would be until this is almost a standard feature of things like Shopify, where they just have, you know, or or even WooCommerce, where there's a plugin that connects to a cloud service that can just offer that. So it can, you know, you can upload your thousand photos and it will give it its best attempt at just automatically tagging them for you. And you can... Mm you know, manually review them because these are the things that, you know, everyone should do. They get left out, especially, you know, it's bad, especially for accessibility reasons, but it does, you know, it does get missed or it's, it's, I've seen, you know, when alt tags are done, um, you know, even humans don't always do a very good job. Maybe they haven't got kind of the right guidelines and it's a long task, which to be very frank, a lot of time has very little impact on the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, exactly. So rightly or wrongly, it gets deprioritized. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting seeing the, how these things develop, like you say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I suppose it, it will depend on how important it is for your business, for your website to to have this in place. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, images and the traffic from images and conversions from, from image traffic uh, would be more or less important to different um, websites. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good solution as well because obviously there's laws about accessibility as well, and you know, um, I think you know, alt tags for me, the the SEO is is secondary, like primarily it's theirs, and as we know for an accessibility thing, so it'd be good as well if we've got solutions that can ensure this greater accessibility to content anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and like many things, the SEO is the the cherry on top. Um, so finally, if we finish off, uh, Roman, I, I know I'm taking a lot of your time here. What what one thing or what two things do you think e-commerce businesses should be focusing on now as we come up to this peak season of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas? Mm. Yeah, a hard question in 2020, you know. <laughs> I would like to say a few words about small business um, because we always tend to talk about a big brands across the internet and we never talk and we always forget about small businesses that were very, very hurt this year because of the lockdowns and uh, those guys, very small um, shops uptown with no visibility online and no um, tech, um, you know, expertise, no resources. And all of a sudden they were faced with uh, shops being closed and no other um, avenue of, uh, you know, to, to generate business. So um, for them, I would like to uh, say that uh, they need to get online as quickly as, quickly as possible. Uh, they need to uh, leverage technology like Sh- Shopify. I mean, this is, this is, we have now technology in tip of our fingers. Uh, Shopify is up there. It, it takes uh, very little effort, very little expertise to get yourself set up um, on online, uh, list out your stock, uh, try to bring in some revenue, leverage social media, uh, let people know that you are online. Obviously, because you had to close the shop, that doesn't mean that that you lost your customers. The customers are out there, reach out to them and uh, let them know that you are online and you still uh, have stock to sell. Uh, Yeah, and this is more important than ever uh, in 2020. Now is the time. and yeah, as we spoke about uh, Google Surfaces, um, the shopping is now free, so take advantage of that. I know it's a lot of, um, a bit more of technical work involved to get your feet up and running, but perhaps you can look into this and uh, you know take advantage of that. It's free, it's out there. And this is why it's there, to help people like you. Um, 
for bigger brands, uh, it will be very um, challenging to stay in stock. So my advice would be um, try to stay in stock and try to deliver the promise. Um, if obviously there's lots of bits and pieces across the way, uh, being in stock is one of them, but try to deliver a good service and yeah, live up to the promise and yeah, good luck. Suppose. Good advice. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, if you have a look at the show notes for this episode, which will be at search.withcanda.co.uk, I will put links into episode 56 and episode 57. So in F- episode 56, we spoke to e-commerce expert Luke Carthy, who covered some specific small businesses can do to optimize their e-commerce site. And episode 57 was with e-commerce SEO Christina Azarenko, who talked about getting started on platforms like WooCommerce and Shopify. Um, Like Roman here said, there's lots of options now to get set up really quickly. There are plugins you can use to generate feeds and stuff that should be able to get you going. Roman, thank you. Uh, really appreciate that. It's been super interesting. We've gone on for 45 minutes. Wow. Thank you, Mark, for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back in one week's time, which will be Monday, the 16th of November. So if you do enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe, share an episode with a friend, or if you are an SEO, why not link to us? Have a brilliant week and hope you'll tune in next week as well.